Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jeff. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater. And un- unusually nervous. Um, before I start get, uh, get started, I just want to say that uh, what I'm about to say is my opinion and how I have worked the program imperfectly. Uh, the program is found in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and when I first walked in the doors, I thought that that was impossible because what do alcoholics know about eating? Uh, they get to stop drinking, we have to eat three times a day. But I've learned in the two years and some odd days that I've been abstinent that uh, that uh, alcoholics don't stop drinking, they stop drinking alcohol. They still drink water, soda, tea, coffee. They drink a lot of coffee, actually. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and I have stopped eating sugar and other trigger foods uh, for me. And so the experience is, is quite similar. And I'm... Many, many, many times amazed what a 125-year-old alcoholic knows about me, because it's everything. Um, it's the same disease. It's life-threatening. We can't stop on our own. It's chronic. If you read the doctor's opinion, you'll find if you just change food and compulsive overeater, as much of the book is true, it's exactly the same. Uh, and so if Bill W., uh, so I try to work Bill W.'s program, not Jeff's program, and if Bill W. were sitting here, he'd tell me to qualify so that you know I'm really a compulsive overeater. And I am. Uh, I was fat before I knew what food was. Uh, I come from a compulsive overeating family. In my family, hot dogs and pizzas were appetizers. <laughs> that is not a joke. That is the absolute truth. We go into a deli. I grew up in New York. We go into a deli, and my dad would order four hot dogs, and then we'd look at the menu. <laughs> um, and uh, so I could give you a, a food log that would take much more than the 40 minutes I have, but I will tell you some because I want you to believe me. First of all, my high weight in life is 335 pounds, and I gave somebody pictures, and I think they're circulating. Uh, and you'll look and see a fat child and an angry adult. And I was, I was both, and a fat angry adult, actually. And I was that. Uh, uh, I, I will tell a couple of, uh, of stories that will give you, a, paint a picture, because I think it's important. Um, when I was about 10 years old, I was driving with my parents, and I asked them why people named their children uh, George Washington Carver or Abraham Lincoln Jones because yeah, I had uh, read something about George Washington Carver and my mother said well when you revere somebody or respect somebody you sometimes name your children after them and I said without missing a beat I know what I'm going to name my kids Baskin Robbins Merkin <laughs> it is unfortunately not as funny as it sounds because I really meant it uh, uh, because that was that was my higher power when I was a kid. Ice cream was my higher power. Uh, I had, you know, I, I mean, you know, we we all, many of us who grew up fat, uh, share a lot of the same uh, stories. Picked on, bullied, uh, uh, you know, made fun of. Uh, I was a fairly good athlete, but I was a big a big kid, so I was always picked last, even though I was a fairly good athlete. And my friends, when we were playing other kids 
would use that to their advantage because they'd never pick me until last because they knew the other team wasn't going to pick me. And we even had a play, this is a true story, we had a play when I was a kid playing football that they would pick me and about the first eight or ten plays they wouldn't even look in my direction and I would kind of jog out and stand there. And then on about the eighth or ninth play and they called it the Jeff play and about the eighth or ninth play I would go out, take about two or three steps and throw my hands up like they're never going to throw me the ball and my defender would of course go away and then I would streak down, well streak might be overstating it, I would run down the sidelines and they would hit me for a pass and a touchdown worked every time. And the reason it worked every time is because when you looked at me, no one could believe that there was an athlete hiding somewhere in, in that kid. Uh, and that's how I was treated. When I was in seventh grade, uh, my Spanish teacher allowed any child in class to come and pinch my cheeks, to come up behind me and grab my cheeks. Please don't grab my cheeks ever, because it's a traumatic thing for me. Because it, it, it uh, you know, I... I, I had to shop in big man stores as a as a young you know as a teenager and young adult, and in those days big man stores have come a long way. In those days you couldn't possibly ever find anything stylish in a big man store, uh, and so when I would get my size 46 or 48 jeans as a 16 year old, and uh, and my banded bottom shirts which were horrific, and I would then save myself by walking across the street to the pizzeria. Uh, this is a cunning, baffling, and powerful disease. I went to college. I uh, I lost some weight uh, when I was uh, one summer. I came back to and gained it all back. And when I came back as a pediatrician, I went to the pediatrician after the summer, and I was 160 pounds. And I came back six months later, and I was 240 pounds. And he looked at the chart and said, "Well, you couldn't have been 160. I must have meant it must have been more because that couldn't have been true, but it was." Uh, I went to college and uh, probably around started around 240, ended around 300. Uh, and I went to college during the sexual revolution, uh, and everyone was having a revolt but me. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I did not touch or kiss a woman my entire college career, which sounds astounding, but it's absolutely true. Uh, and uh, my date on Friday and Saturday nights were with pints of Hagen Dazs. Uh, and the television set, and it, it uh, and all of this adds up to a feeling of less than, an incredible feeling of less than, of I don't deserve, of I'm not good enough, and that is a feeling that I carried with me, literally from before I knew I had feelings until two years ago. Uh, it's quite a burden. It's quite a burden, and uh, uh, I. Uh, Tried away a couple of times. I went with my mother once. I'll give you one other story. I went to Weight Watchers with uh, my mother was in Weight Watchers. By the way, if I never see a baked apple again, I would be very, very happy. Uh, I went with uh, my mother to a Weight Watchers meeting, and she was telling a story about struggling when she got her kids candy. And the Weight Watchers instructor said, "Which kid were you getting candy?" And she pointed to me, and she said, "In front of the room, well, he doesn't need it either." And the big problem with that is that my mother didn't tell her to go to hell and to stop talking about her kid like that because my mother was felt less than and didn't feel empowered to do that either. So she, she passed it on, and that's why I included that story. Uh, I had weight loss. I lost weight after college. I, uh, I came back. Uh, yeah, I gained it back. I lost weight here. Yeah, I gained it back. 
I went to LA with my mom uh, sometime around 15 or 16, and we both thought you were all crazy. Uh, then I came again uh, in the, the 80s, uh, and I used it as a diet and social club. And I will tell you right now, it works on both counts. But if you don't have a program, it stops working like every other diet. Because as the book says, science may one day accomplish weight loss, uh, permanent weight loss, but it hasn't done so yet. And, uh, and any program, any diet works if you work it. But then inevitably you reach a goal or you just feel like stopping and then you're back to being a raving, lunatic, compulsive overeater. I shouldn't say you. I was back to being a, 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 a raving, lunatic, compulsive overeater. Uh, so I did OA in the 80s. I uh, didn't work the program. I worked the rooms. Uh, I, I was successful at working the rooms, but I didn't really pick up much of a program. And then uh, I left uh, and gained all the weight back and more and more and up and down and up and down, uh, you know, every couple of years. Um, about two and a half years ago, I was uh, uh, well over 300 pounds, unemployed, unhappy, uh, and ready to kill myself, literally ready to kill myself, because I didn't understand what the purpose was. I wasn't as good as anybody else. I had developed, and because I wasn't as good as anyone else, I developed this larger-than-life personality. And I was, you know, I was a, had a big personality, told jokes, popular to an extent, because I'd want to be your friend so I could then isolate from you and eat. <laughs> I did. I wanted to be your friend, and I had lots of friends in lots of places, but no really close, close friends anywhere because I couldn't let anybody in that close because you know, I, I needed my, my eating time. I needed my feeling sorry for myself time. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it, it, there's a lot of burden to being that person. There really is. Uh, and so I was at this place and I just didn't, didn't want didn't to go on. And so it was either having a gastric bypass or killing myself, which might have been the same thing. Uh, uh, you know, and, I, and by the way, I, I make no judgment on get people who choose bariatric surgery as, as a means. It just doesn't work without some other intervention in my experience. And I've seen a lot of people, and a lot of people I know have gotten this surgery, and I was very discouraged because they lost a lot of weight and then inevitably gained a, a fair amount of it back. Uh, very few people I know never gained any of their weight back. So I went to this bariatric surgeon, uh, it, you know, locally, you know, Beverly Hills bariatric surgeon, and uh, he, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, I went through the process, and they showed me what you were going to be able to eat as a, you know, after your surgery, and it was about, you know, uh, no, uh, no bigger than a fist per meal twice a day. And I said, I'm going to go nuts if that's all I get to eat. So I continued to, through the process, and I saw the surgeon, and he said, don't worry, well, you, you'll, you're a great candidate. Uh, I'm going to send you this to our shrink. She'll tell me you're fine, and then we'll do the surgery. And I said, what's wrong with this picture? I'm going to go to a, a surgeon who's going to send me to a shrink who's going to tell him I'm fine, not ask me if I'm going to be fine, but tell him that I'm okay. And I said, you know, that makes me uncomfortable, let me go find my own shrink. And when I was in the program in the 80s, I had become friendly with a guy who's, I think his office is literally across the street, uh, who's a therapist. And, and every once in a while, God would put him in my life. I see him at a baseball game or at a supermarket of all places. And, uh, uh, and I had his card somewhere, and I found it, and I called him up, and I, said, I told him the story, and he said, I said, I want to come see you professionally. 
And he said, I can't see you professionally. You're my friend. And I said, what are you talking about? I've seen you three times in 20 years. That's not a friend in my, in my book. I said, come on. He says, no, but let's go have coffee. And I said, so well, you're telling me you'll do this for free, but you won't take my money. He said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. So we, we had coffee right up the street. And he said, here's the deal. You will be crazy if you do it. And you're crazy now. <laughs> so it's your choice, right? You're, you're, you're nuts. So you're gonna, you're, your nuts isn't going to go away because you get your stomach you know, you know, mutilated, I believe is the word he used. But, you know, whatever the word you want to use, you fixed. He said, so, you know, you're gonna, you can either do it and you'll go to program in three months, or you can go to program and in three months, if program doesn't work, you can go have the surgery. And I said, huh, what a concept. I can actually do it without going through this painful and, you know, life-changing surgery. So uh, I went to Serenity Sunday that Sunday, and, uh, and here's what happened. Uh, we'll just do it this way. Uh, here's what happened. Uh, Step one, I admitted I was powerless over food that my life had become unmanageable. And my life had certainly become unmanageable. Uh, I worked in this place, uh, and I, did, I was kind of unemployed, but semi-employed, and I would go to this office three or four times a week for a stipend, and they had four offices and six bowls of candy. <laughs> and I could not stop eating this candy. I could not stop. And when I tell you that I could not stop, I'm not making it up. I would go in every day resolve that I am not going to have this freaking candy. And by 10.30, a good day I got to noon, but by, certainly by 2.30, there were wrappers in every wastebasket, because God forbid you look in one wastebasket and see the 19 wrappers. So there were wrappers in every wastebasket, and the candy, the, the, the level of candy would drop significantly in the office. I could not stop doing it. Could not. I was absolutely powerless over sugar. Absolutely powerless. My life was completely unmanageable. As I said before, I was broke. I was unhappy. I was, you know, semi-employed at best. And I was angry. Angry, angry, angry. Why did God do this to me? Why did I do this to myself? Why did you all do this to me? Why did those people make fun? Didn't matter. I was you could say, hi, Jeff, how are you? And my response would be a one-finger salute. I was just angry. My life was completely unmanageable. So now that, what do I do? So I had to come to believe that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. And I was Jewish, but Jewish by food. I, I did not believe, you know, I went through Hebrew school. They never talked. They talked about God, but they never explained it. You know, God does this, God does that, but there was no, nothing spiritual about it. It was recitation of prayer, and it was, this is what it is. No one ever explained what being religious or spiritual was about. They just told me I had to do it. And I did. Uh, not really. I mean, I did what I needed to do to go through the, the, the process, but then as soon as I was 13, uh, I you know, went through the bar mitzvah thing, I just stopped. I was done. And my parents weren't particularly spiritual or religious. Uh, and so uh, I, I, was, I had some trouble with that. But then someone told me to go down to the ocean and to look at the waves and to say, stop. And I did, but they didn't. And I don't like paying my gardener, so I asked the grass to stop growing. 
and it didn't. And it began to dawn on me, and by the way, I say this, I'm saying this all glibly, but it, this did not come just like, you know, a flash in the night. You have to work for this. You have to read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You have to study the 12 and 12. And what I did with my sponsor, who was the same guy who Eskimoed me in, because I said, you got me into this, now you're getting me through it. Uh, is I took the AA 12 and 12 and a paragraph at a time, starting on step one, obviously. I went through it. I read a paragraph and wrote a paragraph. And at the end of each step, we discussed each of those paragraphs and what the meaning was. And I was gently, and sometimes not so gently, guided uh, into understanding what was going on. And so that, and 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 the, you know, and, and knowing that I couldn't control you or you or anybody else or the ocean or any or the grass growing was enough to make me believe that there was a power greater than myself. And now I wanted that power to prove that he, she, it could restore me to sanity because I'm a cynic and I'm a tough self. Uh, so to do that, I had to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Uh, uh, you know, I... And, and I heard someone in the meeting say this, and it really impacted me. I lost the battle with food. I had to surrender. I had no more fight left in me. I had no fight left in me. And, uh, and so that's why I was thinking about killing myself. So better than killing myself, I'll just surrender to my higher power, because I can't do it. Every day I'd walk into that office and say I wasn't going to eat that candy, and every day I did. But if I ask God, the day I ask God, not believing in God, the day I ask God to stop, I did. I, I don't need a lot more proof. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I learned to, to embrace a power greater than myself. And I learned that the only way I could live my life was to turn my will and my life over to God in all facets of my life. And I still don't. I still kick and scream about that a lot. Uh, but I do the best that I can. And I do, I do it imperfectly, as everything else is uh, in my program. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Uh, here's the thing. I don't really have a food problem. I have a reality problem. Okay? I don't want to not be rich. I don't want to not be handsome. I must tell you that no one's ever, and don't do this later, please, but no one's ever called me handsome. Cute I get occasionally. But, you know, I mean, I want to be, you know, movie star handsome, rock star talented, and rich guy rich. Okay? I don't want to have to work for any of it, and that's just not the way the world is. I'm none of those things, and everything I have, I've had to scratch and claw for, including my recovery. Uh, and so... I am, because of that, I am a liar, a cheater, a thief, and a scumbag. Can I say that? It's not a curse. I'm okay. Uh, and that's because I want what I want, and I don't care what's standing in my way. If, 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 I, want to, if I want to seem like something to you, I'll lie. Not anymore, but this was how I lived. If I wanted something and couldn't afford it, I'd steal, or I'd cheat, or I'd connive, or I would put it on a credit card knowing I couldn't pay for it. I mean, you know, we all know, we've all, I mean, you know, those of us who are uh, 
true compulsive human beings understand this. It's, uh, uh, I was just a bad guy. Masquerading is a really nice guy. You know, as a full of energy, you know, you know, funny, you know, happy-go-lucky, slap-you-on-the-back kind of guy. But I'd steal from you, I'd cheat from you, I'd run you over with a car if I had to. Uh, and uh, that's not any way to live. And that fuels my compulsion and my eating, because knowing what a, a, a nasty a-hole I was, but presenting as this happy-go-lucky, happy-slap-back-slapping guy, just caused a whole other set of problems in my life that were only could be dampened by food. Other people choose other, uh, other substances or other behaviors. Food was always it for me. Um, so I did my inventory. Uh, I did my resentment inventory. I'm going to digress a moment to tell you a resentment story. I had 183 resentments. Uh, and, I, and I'm about to do it again. We'll see how many more we get. Uh, but I had 183 resentments. The number six guy on that resentment list was a guy who I had worked with who I had made very wealthy. Uh, I, got, I got paid a fair amount of money too, but he got very wealthy. And now he was in a position of power and not, give, not helping me. I'm unemployed, remember, right? Um, um, or underemployed. I'm desperate to work. And this guy is in a position to help me and not doing it. I was resentful over that. And I had to pray for his well-being. <laughs> exactly. Through gritted teeth, might I add. Uh, and, and I found that, uh, that, that when, praying, when, when I pray away resentment and I pray for someone's well-being, I don't have to like doing it. I usually don't. Uh, especially at, at the beginning. And if I, but if I have to pray for these people through gritted teeth, I will. Um, I am in the fifth month or of a six-month job, a very good job. In my, in my industry, I'm in the television business. In my industry, all my jobs are cyclical and sometimes as short as a couple of weeks and sometimes as long as a couple of years, but no, never permanent. Uh, I'm in the fifth month of a really good six-month job that is doing a lot to help me out of my financial hole. Number six gave me the job. And he would not have given me the job had I not been through these 12 steps, particularly this fourth step. Uh, so, uh, I'm a liar, cheater, and a thief, a, a recovering liar, cheater, and thief. Uh, and I had to go back and tell people. I had to tell a famous person that I stole $400 from them. That was not fun. Uh, you know, it's very humbling, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we're entirely uh, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Well, um, you know, that, that's sort of once you do step four, step five is almost, you know, uh, the action to the, the reaction to the action. Uh, at least it was for me. Uh, I mean, I did all this. I'm not going to hold it to myself. You know, by this point, I was humbled enough that I wanted to get rid of it. Uh, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. You know, all these defects of character, when I first read it, I thought, hey, that's easy. Of course. You know, why wouldn't you want to have your defects removed? But I like some of my defects. They're fun, you know. Um, and, and, uh, and, and there are some things that I really, that, you know, I really had to work to want to have God removed. Because I didn't want to become this sort of 
OA automaton, you know, yes, I am happy, joyous, and free. You know, I, I was afraid to be that person because if I give up all my defects, I'm giving up all my personality because I had no positive attributes. Um, but, you know, I realized that when you ask God to take you root and branch, good and bad, sometimes, you know, the stuff that was bad before it was checked by the program turns out to be okay. Because I'm not, you know, I haven't lost who I am. I've lost the net, you know, I've lost, I've, I've lost who I am and I haven't lost who I am. And it's a fairly complicated equation because I've lost the, the negative side of it, but I still have a personality. I still have interests. I still have, you know, uh, I, I'm still, a, you know, a similar guy to the guy I was two and a half years ago. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not a bad guy anymore. I'm just not. Uh, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Um, humbly is an interesting <laughs> word. Because um, humble wasn't a big part of my rep- repertoire. Uh, even though I was 300 and some odd pounds, angry uh, and and, unsuc- and successful at, uh, and then not successful, and then successful and then not successful. Um, but uh, I have found that... Uh, Humility is not necessarily thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And what the book tells me to do is to be of service. And being of service is a humbling but not a humiliating experience. And if I think about what I can do for the world and what I can do for the program and my family and the fellowship, then I don't think about what's in it for me. Uh, a, uh, a non-program book that talks about spectacles, talks about doing it for fun and for free. And that's where I've come to in my recovery. If I help someone, I do it for fun and for free. I don't expect to get anything out of it. I don't need to get anything out of it. And sometimes I refuse to get something out of it even if it would come because I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because helping you helps me. Helping you grounds me. You know, I, uh, I'm the poster child for service in this uh, program. I've chaired the birthday party. I've been on two other, you know, convention party things. I'm secretary here, blah, 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 blah. And that's because my larger-than-life personality that I developed has to be in charge of everything. Well, you know, that defect actually worked to my advantage once I was able to channel it through the 12 steps because I still have the, you know, an organizational skill. I just don't use it solely for my own benefit. I use it for the benefit of the program. Uh, And in doing so, instead of saying, what's in it for me, what can I scam, what angle can I play, it's, what can I do for the fellowship, what can I do for you? And I truly do mean that. Uh, So I did humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. Then eight and nine, I made the list. It was long. It was difficult. Some people were dead. Uh, they were the easy ones. Uh, they weren't, they weren't. I mean, my mom and my dad have both passed, and obviously there was a lot of work to be done in regards to that relationship. Uh, I had to forgive my parents because they, they really screwed me up. Uh, they didn't mean to. They loved me, but they were screwed up. My mother was a garden variety compulsive overeater. My dad called my mom forever tomorrow because she was always going to start it tomorrow. 
And I certainly inherited that. It was always tomorrow. It was always Monday. It was always the first of the month. It was always Almalaguena. Whatever it is, I mean, it just you just keep pushing it out. Just keep pushing it out. I and mean, the same thing with my weight. I'll never get past two fifty. All right, two seventy. All right, two ninety. It's like an auction. Three twenty. <laughs> I'm never going to get past three twenty-five. Oh, uh-oh. Uh, three thirty-five. Oh, three fifty. You know, it just keeps the bar just keeps moving because there was nothing to check me. It was my my own devices, my own mind, and my own mind would keep pushing it away. I made the direct amends to such people wherever possible. Um, it was not easy. It was very humbling, but it needed to be done. Uh, continue to take personal inventory when we were on promptly admitted it. Every day I do the A-A-E-I-O-U inventory. I add the extra A for what amends do I owe. Uh, that's the first thing I look at. I look at my behavior every day, and I see what uh, what I've done that I'm not proud of, and then I make right by it. Not always fun, but I do it. And then the other A E I O U is what I ate, my exercise, what I did, I what I did for myself, uh, O what I did for others, and U what I uncovered. And I don't always make it to uh, O and U because I'll fall asleep because I do it at night. Uh, but I do that every day. Uh, because I need to make sure that I'm not slipping back into old habits because I'm 52 years old. I've been doing this a little over two years. I've got 50 years of bad freaking habits and they don't go away because I want them to. Some of them do. So I pray some of them away. The program takes some of them away. But like our eating behaviors, they're insidious, cunning, baffling, and powerful and they will creep back into my life unless I make sure that they don't. So through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God, uh, I have the instincts of an addict, and if I don't pray to God, I will listen to them because they speak to me in my own voice. They tell me it's okay to do these behaviors or to do or, or to act a certain way, and that they're wrong. But it's my voice, my addictive voice telling me that. And unless I have specific contact with the program, on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, I'll begin to listen. I'll either listen to God and to Bill, or I'll listen to me in my own voice. I choose today to listen to God and to the program and to my sponsor. But I have to work at it. And I have to seek that serenity through prayer and meditation. Uh, and I'm not great at meditating. better at prayer. Uh, but uh, I read every day, I read the St. Francis Prayer. If you don't know it, I, it's also called the 11th Step Prayer. I would suggest that you, uh, that you give it a read. It's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> sentiment. I read it every day. I read four today every morning. And I say the third step in serenity prayers upon awakening. And uh, before I go to bed, I also read on awakening when I get up, which is probably the appropriate time. Um, and then having had spiritual experiences the reality of these steps I try to carry this message to uh, other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles we've talked about that enough I think there's just a couple of other things I want to say one uh, the reason I do this all is because I don't want to dance with the gorilla that is sugar sugar is my white powder and I have learned in this program that when you dance with the gorilla you're done when the gorilla tells you you're done not when you want to be done. I've done that all my life. I am not willing to do that today. Half measures avail me nothing. Yeah, I heard someone say, I heard Harlan uh, say at the big book study that uh, if you put 99 cents in a vending machine for a product, a soda, a diet soda, of course, that costs a dollar, 
Uh, it won't come out. Ninety-nine cents for a dollar of soda, you will not get the soda. And the program is the same way. If you give ninety-nine cents to the dollar you need to give, you're not going to get what you need to get. You, you, half measures are not enough. You've got to commit to this thing, and that's scary. That's scary. But I want to give my recovery the same energy I gave my disease. If I think about what I did for my disease, the the hiding, the scamming, the lying, the cheating, the, 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 you know, dropping candy wrappers into every, to different garbage cans so you wouldn't know how much I ate, or sneaking out of the movie theater or the baseball game to get food because, so that the people I was with wouldn't know how much I was eating. If I put that much work, if I put half that much work into my program, then I'm going to have a program, then I'm going to have serenity, and I'm going to have recovery. If I don't, I won't. It's that simple. Bill, in the book, uh, Bill calls it a moral psychology, what he offers us in, the, in, in these books. And I find that to be very true. I didn't know how to live life. I thought I did. It got me into a really horrific, unhealthful place on every level. And I read the program. I worked the program. I did the steps. I work the steps, I try to practice these principles in all our affairs, and today, I am happy. I'm, I, I don't have fear. Uh, I don't always, I mean, I have some fear, we all have some fear. I have almost no fear compared to what I have. I'm not afraid of the future or of restaurant booths. Uh, and I say that, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not afraid of getting on an airplane and sitting in the seat. You know, People used to look at me when they would have to sit next to me on an airplane and audibly exhale because they were so upset that I was the person they had to sit next to. That doesn't happen anymore. Okay, it just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, it, you know, it's an amazing, amazing life and an amazing, amazing spiritual and psychological and physical condition that this program has brought me to. I'm not nearly as angry. I'm, not, I'm a New Yorker. I'm not going to say I'm not ever angry. But I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not nearly as angry. I'm not nearly as anxious. Uh, my job ends four weeks from yesterday. I'm not worried. I believe that I'll be taken care of. Whether it's the way I want to be taken care of or not, we'll see. But I'll, I'll have what I need. And you know why? Because you all will make sure that I do. And that's the beauty of the fellowship. It's not just about me reading these books. It's about you guys loving me till I learn to love myself, holding me up, and holding a 300-and-odd-pound man up is not an easy task, holding me up till I could walk on my own. And I am forever appreciative of that. Thank you very much for allowing me to share. I can take questions, Yvonne. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Uh, the question was, how do I know it's God's voice versus my voice because it makes sense? Uh, uh, that's not really the truth. I, I, I don't always know. You know, I was just talking to my sponsor this morning. You know, it's easy when it's the smaller things. But the big ticket issues, you know, relationships, professional, uh, you know, uh, big ticket stuff, I still have some trouble knowing what God's will is. Uh, you know, when I do something eight times and the door gets slammed in my face, I begin to believe that maybe that's not the path I should take. But, uh, you know, I don't always have the answers. And I'm a baby. I'm only two years in. I mean, you know, they wrote the book when they were about three years sober. Uh, 
you know, they wrote the 12 and 12 when they were 15 years sober. Uh, there's a big difference in, 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 in the, the uh, confidence of, their, of the beliefs. And I'm still just, you know, I'm two years and two weeks old. And uh, uh, I don't have all, I don't know all the time. I, I, but that's why I pray and that's why I meditate. And I ask God to please show me, show your will for me and give me the power and strength to carry that out. Because it, it does take strength sometimes. Jeff, thank you very much for um, Now that you're doing so well financially after having a long period of unemployment, is it hard to stay humble? How do you stay humble? Do you use tools for that? Uh, after, with the, my professional successes, it's hard to stay humble. No, I work for other people still. Uh, they're pricks. Uh, they are. But I mean, it's not my opinion. It's that they are, and and they, uh, and, and I mean, everyone feels that way. And and you know, and so you know, when they say do it a way that I don't think it should be done, I just say, you know, it's not my control. I do it. Uh, so it's not it's not hard to be. And when I say they're they're they're, they're very definite about their opinions, which, in my opinion, aren't always the way I would do things. Notice I didn't even say aren't always right. Because there is no right and wrong, particularly in a subjective business like I'm in. Uh, it's, it's part of higher power. They're, 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 they're above me in the decision-making strata. I listen to them. Uh, so it keeps me very humble. So no, and, and, and I'm, I'm just gotten even out of the hole I was in financially, so I'm, I'm not flashing any cash. So. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, and I don't want to flash cash because I don't need to do that anymore. Because it's not about what I have in my pocket, it's about what I have in my heart. Has uh, your obsession for sugar gone away? Has my obsession for sugar gone away most of the time, almost all the time. I, uh, you know, I, I, they, they talk in the book about recoiling from liquor as if it's a hot flame. And I was at a, it, it, in my show. I was uh, they were serving lunch. I was picking up the, you know, the the uh, the, the containers to see what was in there, and uh, most of it was uh, the chicken that makes the Orange County guys very happy. Uh, but then I got down and there were cookies and I lived with uh, chicken breast, tortillas, beans, okay, cookies. And I, I literally jumped back and I, and I thought right away of, of recoiling as if from a hot flame. So no, it doesn't call me on a daily basis. Uh, occasionally I look at someone and go, boy, it would be nice to be a normal eater. Oh, well, you're not. And the why isn't important for me, by the way. For me, the why isn't important. If I, if I want to know why, I would never do this program because I'd be stuck on the why because there's no answer. I'm a, I have a disease. Uh, uh, well, A is for amends. Uh, the other A, most people do A-E-I-O-U, which are the vowels. Uh, what I ate, what I exercised, what I did for myself, I. O, what I did for others. You, what have I uncovered? Spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. Am I done? Okay. One more? Yes. Thanks. 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 Thanks.